Sure. Cool. So okay. Yep. All right. It's probably the universe, you know, saying, Zoe, shut up. She has work to do. Let's... No, oh, God, no. No, and it's really nice to chat with you. We haven't chatted for so long. So. Oh, so... I know. It's been forever. Like, mm. it's crazy, you know, though. I feel like the universe is doing funny things. Like, Business Chicks reached out today about podcasting. Like, oh, really? Yeah. How exciting. No, well, Emma did. That yeah. probably means that business chicks don't know. Um, so <laughs> high potential. Um, but yeah. she was like, oh, maybe we could talk about, like, you hosting. I was like, that could be cool. That would be um, really cool. Yeah, it'd be really cool. So it was yeah. nice to talk to her and, you know, it's just – and then Shelley Horton. Um, yeah. We were chatting and she's going to come on the podcast about she's chosen to not have children. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And then also something she's really passionate about is perimenopause. I haven't done enough yeah. research on it, um, but I was huge. chatting to huge, massive. I remember my mum in like her mid thirties, mm. um, went through a phase of all and just was like freaking out essentially. Mm. Um, so I talked to her a lot about it today, um, but yeah. I need to do my research before I speak to Shell tomorrow. But she asked if she could talk about that and I said yeah fabulous so absolutely massive because it's just not there's no I mean my friends and I none of us are quite there yet but yeah like I just turned 46 but there's no well there's there's starting to be a little bit of information out there but it's almost like the fertility conversation 10 years ago I know just like why didn't somebody tell me that this was going to happen I didn't think that menopause was something I needed to worry about until Mm -hmm. It happened and it was this thing, but actually it's this thing that it's goes huge. for this long. I know, it's huge. And my friend Amy, who I was speaking about before, yeah. um, she's very open about it because I was talking about Shelley and asking her. She's only 43 and she was yeah. like, oh, God. She's like, yeah, I'm going through it right now. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, oh, you know how I've been talking about, like, you know, she's been talking about her, like, sex life and, yeah. you know, she's feeling less of a woman and her periods have stopped and she's like, Am I just done? Like, am I old? Yes, am I yes. not a woman anymore? Will my husband still love me? I was like, oh, my God. I was like, don't say that. And she's like, yeah, but it's crazy. No one talks about it. And she goes, and yeah. I am so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And she's like, until you said that word, it was like, a, oh, okay, I can talk about it. She goes, and you're 28, so that's really weird. I was like, no, <laughs> it's not an age thing. It's just a no, it's a woman thing. thing. Yeah. Exactly. And the, the mere fact that, like, even I've been tuned into it for a little while, but I still couldn't tell you what the definition is or how you know that you are in it yeah. and how it started. I know. It's funny. I, I was talking to Shell about that just briefly when we had a quick phone conversation and she was like, mm-hmm. oh, I've got so much information. She goes, I'm not a professional. She said, but I have seeked a lot of advice. And I was like, well, Brilliant. let's do it. So. Yeah. Got her tomorrow, which would be good. Um, That'd be great. Yeah, I know. Just topics that I wouldn't even think, but people just write in and I go, oh, that's a good one. And then. I love that you're doing the child child free by choice. That's really important. Um, And even if, look, obviously it's not her area, but if you can bring in, I guess, I suppose, um, from Janae's point of view, people who that is where they end up, not by choice, but then they need to create the life without children. Yeah. Um, and, and enjoy I that life. actually know somebody um, yeah. that I could bring off the back of that. Because I'm trying to do this thing as well. Like even my friend Amy, 
yeah. when I was talking to her because she's just you know I said well why don't we chat like she goes oh like podcast I go I would love to podcast with you if you want to chat I was like mm. imagine if we did yours and then her take on yeah. becoming a solo parent as a result mm. of you know her husband leaving her for the nanny <laughs> so oh no he didn't shocking and the nanny mm. is she found you know how she found out actually this is really yeah. really really wrong so her obstetrician um she's really like close with her she's one of six kids and there's five girls and they all went to this obstetrician anyway um and so he knows the family so well and her ex-husband or wasn't her ex at the time took his girlfriend who was pregnant to that obstetrician yes and then the obstetrician bumped in like not bumped in sorry had another patient who was Amy's friend and said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I just saw Doug. I didn't know that Amy and her had split. And she was like, what? And she was like, oh, I I shouldn't have said anything. Don't worry. Like, sorry. It was a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she obviously told Amy and then Amy dove deeper. And anyway, turns out and she was pregnant. She was like four months pregnant when he left her. And that was only like. Oh, it was just before Heidi started school, so like January of this January. year. January. Oh God, so she's right in the middle of. Oh, awful. so in the middle of it, and she was a stay-at-home mum, so she's had to go and. So now get, she's got to figure out get a yeah. job and pay her rent and oh. Oh, the poor so, thing, Zoe. That's not oh, fair. Not fair. Bloody boring cliche that guy is. Oh, I, I know, and what a dick! Like, yeah. such a dick, and it's mm-hmm. just it's. It is really, you know, it's just sad. But at the end of the day, he doesn't deserve to be with her and she'll get to that point. Yeah. I was going to say that. It's no help to her right now, but she is so much better off shot of him. Oh, so much better. (laughs) She's in the angry phase. She'll get through it. She will get through it, but she's just very angry and rightly Mm. so. So. Absolutely. God. I know. So sad. Anyway. So she was like, oh, I would love to. And I was like, well, wait till you're at that point (laughs) when you can chat about it. And we won't delve into the whys, but just, you know, juggling, you know, finding a job when you haven't had a career in five years. Yeah, recreating your life and not the life that you thought that you were running for for the next, yeah. And they were planning on having more babies and, (gasps) yeah, it's just crazy. Anyway. I know. What a dick. And you mm. wouldn't, if you walked past him, you would not think. That like, it was like that. No, and, I, like, their relationship as well was, she thought, like, it was rock, rock, like, rock strong. Like, it was just. Oh, no, you know. that's even worse. I know. And so he was banging his wife and banging the nanny. Like, what a gross human. Like, really? gross. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's her story. There's just so many stories. It's just, you know, everyone's got their stuff, right? Yep, Absolutely. Alrighty. Okay. Are you ready to dive in? Yes. I'm Are ready. you sure? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. So welcome to the podcast. We've been doing a lot of chatting off camera, but um <laughs> we're gonna dive straight in. So do you want to refer to Nicholas as NKG? Or uh, can I we think, I think we'll just call him Nicholas. Nicholas? Okay, cool. Yep. Okay, cool. If, so, it's, if it slips in, it doesn't matter. Oh no, that's good. I don't know why I always call him that. Oh, it's because, yeah, that's what I use, I think, on social mostly, yes. Yeah, I definitely, like, I don't know, it's what I've always referred to him as, even when I'm having conversations about you. 
<laughs> what I call him. People are probably like, what's that? But anyway. It's quite I, nice because you know where the K comes from. Where does it come from? So it's actually, so the K is Keegan, which is my mum's maiden name. Oh. Um, which So that's his middle name. And she, there's there are no boys born in that next generation to carry that name. Oh, that's really cool. You know, a funny story is my Blake, his middle name, well, he's got two middle names, but his second middle name is Garling. And that was a maiden name from like four or five generations ago, which was the same. Oh, it so never good. had. Yeah. So every first born boy in Toby's family, so it was his dad, then Toby, now Blake, carries oh. that name through. I've got goosebumps. Yeah. So it's really special. Really, yeah. Really special. Yeah. And Blake as well. So Blake's named after my dad, who's Blake. And then mm-hmm. Jeffrey is um, his middle name, which is um, Toby's dad that we lost just before we had Heidi. And then yeah. Garling is um, sentimental to his yeah. family. So it's a full family name. Yeah. Oh, and it's a beautiful name. That's really yeah. cool. It is. Yeah. It's a strong name. But Keegan's actually a nice name. As I know. Own. Yeah, Keegan is actually a Christian name, a first name for want of a better term, yes. Um, yeah. But, yeah, really... Um, really an important um i guess honoring from my point of view um i was really close with my maternal grandfather um and he has quite an incredible story so i really wanted to have that um as an element of 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 nicholas's name yeah so special Mm -hmm. so before you had nicholas um and we're going to get into the story of how Nicholas came to be. But were you always the maternal type? Did you know you wanted kids? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I would. What I definitely wasn't the white picket fence girl. I knew I was not going to come out of school um, and get married and settle down. Uh, but it was always on my mind that um, that I'd have a family. Um, I guess. Yes, I am very, I would I have always been quite maternal in my actions. If you ask my closest school friends who are still my my rock solid group, um, I was the one who would be counting the heads at, at the nightclub, making sure that we still have everybody, you know, with us. Yeah. Um, are you drinking water? Who's in the toilet vomiting? You know. <laughs> the one looking after everybody. Yeah, so there was definitely that, um, definitely that sort of intent in my personality, I think, from day dot. Um, that's pretty cool and in your like did you have relationships can I ask that in your 20s 30s yeah look I had bits and pieces of relationships nothing hugely serious um I wasn't really again I guess in the earlier days straight out of school I I wasn't interested in doing that I was really interested in my career um and where that could take me um and concentrating on that and as a journalist I was sort of working shift work and working weekends and um you know, that was very much my focus. Um, and then travel um, and moving around for my career. So I moved to Canberra to work in the press gallery. Um, and so while my friends were sort of meeting the loves of their lives and and getting engaged and settling down, um, I was sort of off running around um, interviewing people and, and having a great time with that. Um, but yeah, there were bits and pieces of guys along the way, but just nobody who I, ever I can't say that there was anybody who I sat there and thought I really would like to raise a child with you yeah that's Um, crazy it's crazy to think I actually so Liz and I have known each other I was trying to work this out so when I started at Business Chicks I was 20 and I'm hmm. now 28 and Jenea who you how long have you worked at Jenea for 
So I started at Jenea in 2013, so about, yeah. Yeah, about the same time. You were one of the Mm -hmm. first partners that I sort of had met and was working across from the event side, and then I moved into the partnership side when I got pregnant with Heidi because Em didn't want me travelling. And I just, it's crazy to think that we've known each other for so long, but I didn't know that you were a journalist. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't come up hugely often. I think it was such a huge part of who I was and my personality while I was doing it and then um, and then in the process of moving out of it and moving away from it I really it was almost like kind of it sounds hugely melodramatic but a bit of a rebirth yeah. um, journalism is one of those careers that it is so interwoven with who you are it's not just what you are um, and so yeah I really had to kind of shed that but the skills that I learnt um, back as a cadet journalist at AAP and then um, and then on the Australian stay with me and um, and are hugely, hugely helpful in all parts of my life. It's so cool. How did you move into fertility and Jenea and where you are now? <laughs> um, who knows, to be honest, complete fate, <laughs> something. Um, I had been living in Perth, so journalism took me to Perth. I lived over there for a lot longer than I'd planned to go for um, and had two amazing careers over there so that's where I finished up journalism um, and then I jumped across to work um, in-house in communications the dark side some people would say um, for a mining company oh wow Uh, just just a little mining company called Fortescue that some people might have heard of um, with Andrew Forrest Um, so that was just incredible Um, some amazing memories um, working for such um, an incredible philanthropist, um, an entrepreneur. Um, I feel like I've heard his name, but I... Yeah, um, Andrew Twiggy Forrest, you will have, yeah, yeah you'll have heard of him. Heard yeah, he's he's very interesting and that was um, an incredible job um, and a really full-on time. And I guess there was actually, going back to your relationship question, there was a re- quite a short relationship with a guy that was really intense, um, which I thought might have been going somewhere. Um, and he ghosted me. Stop. Mm-hmm. In Perth, was this when you lived in Perth? Mm-hmm. Yep, when I was living in Perth, um, just dropped me cold. Oh. Um, and that was kind of <laughs> the beginning of I was like, okay, this is pointless. Um, I might as well sort of start making some plans for myself. Um, not that I hadn't already made plans in my life, I guess, but, yeah, really that was quite a turning point for me. How old were you, can I ask, at this stage? Ish? Ish. So I was sort of um, early to mid-30s. Okay. And I know a lot of women in that sort of, I guess, category, if that's what you want to call it, in that age bracket, are Mm. quite aware of their biological Mm. clock ticking. I feel like it's something that's been... I guess, embedded in all of us to some extent. Um, Were you aware and was it something you were thinking about? I was aware. It's funny, when I was still in Canberra working in the press gallery, um, some of the very misogynistic men down there used to take great delight in saying to um, the female journalists, you know, you know that clock's ticking, you better be thinking about your eggs, what are you doing? Um, I want to punch them. (laughs) And that was even, and that's back in, that's pre-2000. Um, and even back in those days, I remember the concept of egg freezing being raised, but um, my only kind of knowledge of it was it was maybe something that people in New York might be doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so then fast forward to Perth and, yeah, 
early to mid 30s um yeah look i definitely knew that there was a clock running um i don't think that i was even then educated exactly as to what that clock looked like um but i knew that i needed to start getting organized and i guess living that that far away from my family i knew that there were some other things that i needed to do if i was going to make it work um sadly because perth is amazing um it's an incredible beautiful city um and my lifestyle over there would have been really good to bring up a child like i lived 10 minutes from work you know 10 minutes from the beach lived right in the middle of everything not sort of like you do have to in sydney hours and hours of commute and things like that it's so crazy don't you think kids make you because i'm having this whole thing obviously we're in lockdown at the moment and i'm like i need to get out of sydney like i need Mm. to be somewhere where it's quiet and my kids can like have like their backyard isn't this big and we could live life and it's funny Mm. having kids has really changed my i guess wants is that the right word or you know desires in life yeah well your idea of what life looks like needs to look yeah. like your priorities yeah. definitely yeah absolutely I think okay. I knew even back then before there was any sign of Nicholas that it would need to be here and close to my family um, you're close with your parents aren't you super close with my folks um but I'd been away from them for a long time like I'd lived in Canberra I'd lived in London I'd lived in Perth um with little bits in between coming back um what so, a cool life yeah. you've led can I just say that like, <laughs> just, you know your book is nowhere near done but the chapters you've had up until this point are really cool I think that's what has made motherhood a bit easier as well because I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything because oh. um, I yeah I got to do a lot um yeah. yeah I'm also really close with my brother and his wife um so it was quite important to me to be around them and the, one of the final things that sort of pushed me to um, to quit my job over there and to head back was um, their, my brother and his wife telling me that they were pregnant with um, their first. Um, yeah. And even sort of outside of whatever plans I was starting to percolate, it just became really clear to me that I did not want to be the auntie over Zoom. Um, yeah, even Zoom didn't exist back then. I know. <laughs> I well, we, I think we're all the aunties over Zoom at the moment. But, yeah. <laughs> but I true. totally get that. I feel like even just with in my situation, my beautiful sisters having my kids, they want to be present. They want to be mm-hmm. known. They want updates. They want to be around. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, and that was really important to me. And I, I literally, um, Annika was born in the. December of um, 2011 and I moved and I arrived back in Sydney in the January of 2012. Wow. Um, okay. So yeah that was and there were sort of other bits and pieces along the way um, just in terms of getting myself organized um, financially um, but yeah that was the beginning I guess. And then when you got back to Sydney was that when you yeah. found Janaea? Was that when you No so that was uh, <laughs> I was just having to remember what your actual question was. Um, I don't remember either, so that's good. Keep going. I love this. How did you get into it? So I got back to Sydney and got a job um, at an energy company, um, which was great. It was a contract for a year, got me back into Sydney, um, and it was a a good wage and and met some really clever people, learnt a lot from them. Um, And then 
got a message from an old journalism contact um, saying, I saw you back in Sydney. I don't know if you're ever in the market. Are you looking for work? What's the go? Um, and I was because the contract was running out. Um, and so she, yeah, she got me this interview with this fertility company, this IVF company that I hadn't heard of at that point. Um, and then once I did a bit of digging and figured out who Janae used to be um, and that they used to be Sydney IVF, I oh, knew wow. that I had heard of them um, back in the day. Um, and, yeah, so walked in there and just fell in love. And never walked out. <laughs> never walked out. I think the main thing has really been for me that after um, after a dozen years as a journalist and then working for a mining company and then working for an energy company, I really wanted to do something that was about um, creation and, and good yeah. um, and positivity. Um, and, look, there's honestly how many, how many years I am into Janaea and um, there's nothing better than being able to say that we make babies. Yeah, and I can tell, like, I can tell anyone listening you love your job and you're so passionate about what you do and the time you give to people that come up. I've seen it at events at Business Chicks talking to you about their stories and their their journey. You're always listening and I feel like you have a genuine love for the company that you work for, which is so rare, I feel. Yeah, I definitely do. I really believe in, in what we're doing and the way that we do it. Um, but I think at the heart of it, I really understand and feel for those women yeah um, and I know that by the time they've approached somebody like me at a business chicks event or even by the time they've messaged um, a fertility company on Facebook yeah. they have been through so much pain already um, in there in, in trying to do what should be the simplest thing in the whole entire world um, yeah. and the courage it's taken them for to, sort of to make that step You've, yeah. you've got to hold that with such respect um, and such care for how how sort of fragile they can be. So Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's actually just um, come across my brain, which is going at a million miles an hour right now. For anyone listening who doesn't know what Janaea is mm. or, you know, you said it's an IVF clinic, which I know it's so much more than that, do yeah. you want to just give a quick overview as to sort of what the company does? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we do tend to call ourselves a clinic um rather than a company we do um help people have babies through ivf but we help people have babies so many other ways um as i alluded to a minute ago we used to be called sydney ivf and we've been helping people have babies in australia um for more than 35 years so is the statistic true that 50 percent, only 50 percent of people that come to you go down the ivf route Yep, so 50% of people who come and see one of our fertility specialists, so actually have an appointment, um, only 50% of them need to have IVF to make their baby. And so that's really important. I think people worry that once they call a fertility clinic, they're going to be on a fast track to IVF. Yeah. Um, and, and people obviously have um, concerns about sort of what that looks like and how invasive that'll be. Um, and it's not always the case. There are lots of other things that can be done beforehand. And the most important thing is that it's all individualised. So yeah, th there's no way you're ever going to just jump someone straight into IVF because you want to find out why they can't have a baby. Yeah. What's going, What as we like to say, what's meddling with their baby making, what's what's not working. Um, and, that's, and then you can solve that part of the problem. Um, so, so cool. 
yeah, look at it. It is a cool, cool clinic to work for. Amazing doctors, incredible scientists. Um, the learning curve for me has just been massive. And I came from like my mum's a midwife, was a midwife. Wow. And, and I grew up um, with a very close family friend who was an obstetrician gynecologist. So I kind of had this background. But yeah, even so, it's still every day I'm just like, oh, okay, now explain that to me one more time. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. And um, do you think being at Jenea helped you take, you know, becoming a mother like into your own hands? Did you feel mm. like being there, I guess, you know, put you on that path? I think so. I think I, I like to think that I would have done it anyway. Um, but being at Jenea really showed me how I could do it. Um, I think if I hadn't have ended up in Jenea in 2013, it might have taken me a bit long to, longer to figure it out. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was definitely just an amazing thing to land in your lap. Yeah, um, and I guess we should probably dive into how did Nicholas come about? How <laughs> old How old were you? We've mentioned egg freezing. Did you do that? Yeah. Did you not? Take us on the journey of how he came about. How he came about. Um, so I was heading towards my 40th birthday and I decided that this was the thing that I was going to do. Um, I had quite a lot of my ducks in a row. Um, I had sort of the money side of things organised I'd bought um, a home, I'd bought a townhouse in Sydney, um, so I had somewhere to take him to, <laughs> which is always handy. Um, and everybody that knows the Sydney property market knows, and especially back in sort of 2012, 2013, that was, um, yeah, quite the task. Um, and so anyway, Massive I rocked along. You'd be so proud of yourself for that. That's huge. Yeah, it was painful the Sydney property market's not fun but um now I got there um so I went along to see um the fertility specialist that I'd chosen as my doctor um who also happened as it is still Janae's medical director um and so was in some ways also my boss <laughs> so <laughs> had that you was had conversations prior like was he aware or they aware no no. no, I mean, he knew, obviously, my appointment was on his books, so he knew something was up. Um, and I remember walking in and us having a conversation about um, whether he was comfortable, me initiating the conversation about whether he would be comfortable being my doctor um, and him saying, well, will you be comfortable with me being your doctor? And I said, yep, I'm a pretty pragmatic person um, and so you're the person that I want sort of walking me through this this journey. Um, and then he said to me, um, looking obviously through my notes, um, you're not here to talk to me about egg freezing, are you? And I said, no, no, not here to talk to you about egg freezing. Um, I'm here to talk to you about having a baby with donor sperm. Um, and it, it kind of went from there pretty easily, really. Um, what does that process look like for someone who mm. might be listening? Can you walk us through what your journey looks like with Janaea? Yeah, absolutely. So um, even though... I um, wasn't at that point considered medically infertile. Um, there was no proof that I couldn't have a baby. Um, Mark still did sort of the usual run of tests just to um, make sure all of those parameters were, were normal and that everything was fine, um, along with some of the really sort of basic things. So whenever you're heading into fertility treatment, um, you have your rubella levels checked um, and all of those sort of elements um, just to make sure that everything's up to date. So we did all of that. 
And alongside that, I needed to start the process of choosing a donor um, for the donor sperm. Um, and at Jenea, um, at that point in time, that was choosing a donor from a clinic in the States. Um, and so you go on a waiting list. Uh, there are very few donors available to recipients in New South Wales because New South Wales has a five family limit per donor. So that means that each donor can only create five families and one of those families is his family. So in fact, there are actually only four opportunities for his sperm to be used by recipients, by people who need donor sperm. Um, mm. So that means that there's just, yeah, there's far fewer donors available to, um, to people who need it in New South Wales. Now there are different rules um, around Australia. Each state and territory has different numbers of these family limits. Um, across Australia now, it's, it's the law that um, all donor sperm must be given with the understanding that any children born from it will be able to get identifying details when the child turns 18. Um, and so that proves as well when you're considering, um, I guess, both local donors and international donors, that also obviously um, limits the number of people who are as interested. Um, and in Australia, it's illegal to pay donors. Um, yeah. They can be compensated for their time, um, but that you can't actually make a payment for their sperm or for their eggs. And so there's local donors now, because you said when you did it, it was only in America, is that correct? Yeah, so some clinics, yeah, some clinics back then had Australian donors available and, and over the years there have been Australian donors, obviously, um, through different means. But at that point in time, Jenea had a relationship with an American um, sperm bank and so that was, the, that was the option. So I jumped on the waiting list um, and then when I got to the top of the waiting list and everything else had been organised, um, I went through um, a counselling session uh, just to... Um, it's not really an approval so much as a, a check-in, I guess. Um, and then I got access to the donor profiles. And um, what do they look like? Is it a book? Oh, Zoe, yeah. they are incredible. So these ones that I had access to were online. Um, so it was like getting a password to the most intense dating website you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> <laughs> do you get, do you get it's, is it pictures or is it just details? So it's mostly details. Um, you know, you've got to, you get upsold, so you need to buy a membership to get access to this, that, and the other. Um, okay. And it, it does depend a bit on the donor and what they want to share. Um, so I got the the higher membership so that I could see photos. In those days, I, I hear now that there are some adult photos included, but in my, those days, it was mostly childhood photos. Okay. Um, and really cutely um, silhouettes, you know, like the old-fashioned oh, yeah. black and white profile, um, and voice clips, which was okay. really cool. Um, wow. And, and big essays, um, huge questionnaires about their lives and their likes and dislikes um, and medical history. The medical history was amazing, the depth um, that's gone into um, back to back through their parents and their parents' parents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, um, you know, has basically what medical conditions everybody has, yeah. um, if anybody has died from them, those sorts of things. So good sort of ability to check any red flags that you know of in your own history um, yeah. and on those lines. But I think when I got it, there were probably only five or six profiles. Um, 
And so I did a bit of a process of elimination myself, and I think I'd narrowed it down to two, two or three perhaps. Can I um, ask what your criteria, like, did you have anything, was it all medical based or did you have? It's really funny. It's a really interesting question. And there was actually a piece of research done on this very topic. Um, now, first up, my criteria were um, education. I was keen to find somebody who had strengths in areas that I didn't. Um, so I wanted somebody, so obviously I'm a journo, I have a very sort of English history, um, that side of that side of the brain, if you like. So I wanted somebody with a maths and sort of scientific bent. That's cool. Um, so that was important to me. I wanted someone who, you know, had a sense of humour and and had a had a kind and caring nature that as much as you can perceive through those sorts of things. So I was looking for evidence um, that the donor that was an element that was important in his life and the way he carried himself through life, um, family, those sorts of things, um, and height. Okay. <laughs> Is that because? Because I'm short. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is one chance to get my child to have some hope of, you know, being over five foot five. Um, <laughs> I love that. That's actually so that was thinking about it is like opposite personality traits to you because, you mm. know, you'll be raising him. Yeah. So that was, they were the things that I chose on. The research that they did, I think it was a Queensland university, um, found that um, so heterosexual couples who needed donor, whether it be egg or sperm, looked for a donor who looked the same as the partner whose egg or sperm would have been not being used. Um, so they were looking for a looks match to create a child that would have looked like what their child would have looked like. Yeah. Um, same sex couples look do you still look for looks? So again, trying to create a melange of what they would look like. Um, but there begins to be um, that whole education question and personality question comes into it. And single women um, flips completely. And it, it is, it's education and personality. And then there'll be something that single women had sort of highlighted. And some of them will be like, you know, blonde or blue eyes or something like that. The other so thing that I... Physicality for you, was it just sort of like... It's really funny. What I wanted was um, at least somebody who I thought I might have hooked up with. Okay. So the attra attraction. An attraction of some sort of some degree. So there yep. would have been some reality to it. That sounds really bizarre. But, yeah, it was like I, I want there to have, yeah, this person to at least have had a chance of, yeah, being somebody who I would have. Yeah. I think that's actually really cool. It's a nice way to think about it because you're almost dating them to, yeah. you know, that's kind of what you do when you are, you know, you're, you're finding your partner is yeah, when you have yeah. that attraction to some extent. Exactly. Well, that's kind of nature, isn't it? That's how nature works. You're attracted to people that you will create, make good genes with, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I had these, I had this narrowed down list and headed off for, um, for dinner at my brother and sister-in-law's house with my parents as well and um and they my brother and sister-in-law at that point they've knocked this house down since but they had a um they had that good old you know um computer screen up in on the edge of the kitchen with a keyboard on the on the kitchen bench um so they've pulled up the website <laughs> um, and then they're looking through it and um and my brother looked at one of the profiles and he said oh 
the nurses reckon this guy looks like Jason Stratham. And I was like, oh, I didn't read that bit. Um, which profile's that? And anyway, it was one of the ones that I'd chosen. And um, and I had this sort of, I had always really liked Jason Stratham. <laughs> and and my brother, <laughs> I was told, and my brother said the same thing. He's like, that, he's like, he's an actor, but he still seems like he'd be a good bloke. <laughs> so cool. That's the donor. <laughs> I'm glad you like involved them in the process. Yeah, they were really hugely involved. Um, I think my niece um, by that point was old enough um, that she was kind of asking about cousins um, and what was going to happen in that way. Um, and I think she'd already asked my sister-in-law and my sister-in-law had had to kind of, you know, fudge an answer. Um, so, yeah, they were very heavily involved. Um, really sweet. Very and have you explained, we're going to get into sort of, I guess, how he came about after you've picked the donor, but with the family, yeah. did you feel, like, supported and how did you explain it to your niece and everyone else, I guess, in who you were? Were you telling people? Um, not early in the pair. I mean, family, obviously, yes. So I yeah. told them um, very sort of early in the piece um, and my closest girlfriends um, and a couple of other um, good friends, I guess. But other than that, no. Um, and nobody at work knew, which stuns me to this day. Um, I kind of thought that it was maybe being talked about and I didn't know. Um, but a number of people came up to me after Nicholas was born people in positions where I would have assumed that they would have known what was going on and they were just absolutely blown away. So that was quite interesting. Um, it's actually really cool. It shows the confidentiality, you know, yep. it's very much a respect thing. It's up to you if you who you choose to tell. Choose to tell. Absolutely. Really and and it is, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's the way I act. Um, it's the way that I believe should happen and that's the way that I act when I go into the lab. I don't look at patient names um, in the lab um, because, yeah, I think that's a huge breach of, um, of their privacy. So, yeah, that's but, yeah. That's on me, though, you know, because I remember when we first did the podcast or the, it was actually the YouTube series and I it was all these people were messaging me and I was going to send it to you and you said, oh, no, you said, that's okay, get them to get in touch. They don't need, you know, they can send me a DM if they want to say stuff because it never, in my mind, you know, after posting all the comments and stuff, and I do blank out their name and stuff, I thought, you know what, probably shouldn't share because it's a very personal thing. Even though I would say, do you mind if I pop this on my story, mm. I'll blank out your name and whatnot. Yeah. But it is, it's crazy. It's such a um, unique, you know, personal thing. And everyone's thing is different as well, you know. Even you talking about sperm donor, I've got an episode coming up with the same-sex couple and they did um you know through Janaea actually just randomly <laughs> um they they chose a sperm donor for you guys and they had the most beautiful experience but it's funny how you know their selection criteria is different to yours and even yeah. though you're on the same process and same journey it was so different you know yeah they're definitely absolutely all unique all the different journeys um yeah. I think I didn't really have to do a lot of explaining to the people who did know at that point, because I guess it had been a bit of a, an ongoing conversation. Um, I think straight away when I told my parents and my brother and sister-in-law, um, dad was keen to understand kind of exactly what the treatment meant yeah. and if there are any consequences there. Um, and obviously having mum with a medical background, that helped. Um, 
she got it. Um, and she was my support person the whole way through, which was amazing. Um, came to all the appointments and um, all the procedures and chatted to the medical director while he pulled eggs out of me. And <laughs> so cool. My mum would be so jealous. Like, I think, like, she wanted to be at every appointment at the birth. And I was like, oh, mum, it's just Toby and I. And she's like, oh, she never said anything. She's Aww. incredible. But I know she would have loved, loved yeah. to. So if I have another baby mum, you can, you can come to the birth. You can come. <laughs> She'd love that. Anyway, sorry, keep going. No, that's right. Um, and I guess um, my niece probably gets it a bit more than my nephew, um, but they both, it's quite just accepted um, that all families are different um, and Nicholas's family is mummy and, and him, the two of us. Um, and, yeah, that's sort of where it's at at the moment. We haven't seen the need to get that's any how deeper. That's it should be, right? Yeah. Every family is different. You know, what, yeah. how, which, you know, we pick and choose who our family is. And is. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of literature out there these days, which is good. So um, Nicholas and I read, there's a couple of our favourite books that talk about, yeah, what our family looks like and what other people's families look like. And The Janae you know, book's actually great, How Babies Are Made. Yes. I, um, <laughs> I know she took that in for news. Oh, <laughs> she took it in for news. I don't know if I told you that, but, yeah, she took no. it in for news. Um, it was actually one of her first news off the back oh. of other people sharing their stories about their family. I think you missed the, the people listening missed the conversation we had about a boy in her class missing a limb and having same-sex parents. And I think she thought it was a pretty cool way to explain. And I don't know what she said when she got up there, but there's a picture of her holding the book up, pointing. So that's so I, cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah, where babies come from is um, has just really cemented itself as in the hearts of so many people it's so important for, for IVF babies to have their their story told and um yeah even little bubs like my little Nicholas um how they came to be so yeah it's very once beautiful. you picked the donor yes what did that what does that look like um so then basically we decided um I guess harking back again to the fact that um there was really no evidence that I would have any trouble getting pregnant um, we decided to do um, to start with a cycle of what's called IUI into uterine insemination um, and so that's where you basically monitor to um, find out when you're going to ovulate um, and then just inject the sperm up through your cervix okay. um, that's so like ovulation tracking essentially yeah, it, yeah. So if you were in a in a heterosexual relationship um, with a partner, then yes, you would do ovulation tracking. Although it's it's kind of a step on from that because ovulation tracking would be um, okay, great. We now know you're about to ovulate, so go home and have sex. Yeah, with your partner. Um, IUI is we now know you're about to ovulate, so we've collected the sperm wherever that sperm's coming from, um, whether it's donor or whether it's your partner. Um, and we're actually going to insert it into you to give it a better chance of getting to where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So now from my point of view, obviously, it was needed because the sperm was in a vial. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not a penis. <laughs> Not a penis. <laughs> yep, I get you. Um, but other people obviously might need IUI if, um, if there are some physical impediments that mean that having sex that way isn't working for them. Um, and that the sperm isn't getting to where it needs to be. Yeah. 
So IUI, I suppose, harking back to that conversation we had about not everybody needs IVF, IUI is a lot um, a lot lower impact, I guess, um, and it can be a starting point um, to help you have your baby. I guess um, as well, if the sperm isn't of the highest quality, can they extract, you know, yes. high, higher quality sperm from your partner and... Yep, so they can definitely look at um, look at your partner's sperm um, and and test to see um, quality, I guess, on a number of different parameters, um, okay. both movement and on shape. Um, there are a few indicators of the healthiness of sperm. And, um, yes, so IUI might be a way of dealing with that, more likely that you'd probably even go to a different version of IVF, which is called ICSI. Um, and that's where you actually grab out of the sperm sample one sperm and inject it into the egg. Wow. Um, There's so many things I feel like we need to do an episode like with one of your One people. of the doctors. Yeah, yeah, because there's so many things that, you know, I feel like I'm quite in touch. I've never been on down the fertility route, um, but I've, heard a lot about it mostly through you and following your social media and whatnot but it's just it blows my mind it's just crazy yeah there's so many ways that we can help um but by the same token it's it's not a guarantee at all um and so it is yeah there's sort of we need to be really realistic about the chances um and for me that first round of IUI was um kind of an introduction to the roller coaster that is fertility treatment. Um, so I fell pregnant that first round, um, which was incredible, um, and then miscarried at 10 weeks. Shivers, um, I'm so which sorry. Was, which was pretty shit, actually. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that was a big come down. Um, I think actually something that Maha said on her podcast with you um, about sort of not expecting it would happen that quickly. Um, yeah. But then when it did, and I was just over the moon, obviously, and everybody else was, um, yeah, it was really tough then to to lose that bub. Jeez, um, I'm so sorry. That's awful. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, it was, that was a big sort of crash. Um, but by the same token, I'm quite driven, as you probably know. Yeah. Um, and I knew that time was ticking away. Um, so as soon as I was, um, as soon as I was physically able, I tried again, and we did another IUI, um, and that didn't work, um, didn't take. And then we moved to IVF, um, mm -hmm. and in my first cycle. Um, I got good numbers of eggs um, and good numbers of embryos and we decided to put one embryo back straight away, fresh, mm -hmm. um, and sadly I lost that bub at 12 weeks. Oh, my um, God. So that was really tough. Um, that was a really tough one. Um, oh, geez, Liz. To get to sort of to deal with that because at that point you start to, I'm not a, I'm not the sort of person to think, oh, you know, woe is me, that's unfair. But you do start to think, come on, I've got to catch a break somewhere along this line. Yeah, um, and you know what, like you're navigating this on, I know you have support, but you, yeah. you know, on your own and to have two and that's just, you know, I had one yeah. and it was horrific, horrific. 
Yeah, and it is. And do you know what I think, and this is um, definitely something that has coloured um, the work that I do, um, you know, a lot of advice out there is um, both during your two-week wait and then if you do um, have an unsuccessful cycle or um, lose your baby, so much of the advice is centred around, you know, get your partner to give you foot rubs and useless crap, sorry, yeah. but useless crap like that. Um, so, yeah, I think we've really got a long way to come um, as a society as how we help people. Um, and you know how passionate I am about the work that we do with Pink Elephants and that is a lot of the reason why. Um, yeah. So that's Pink Elephants. Um Support Network, they're a miscarriage charity um, and they really are just absolutely changing the face. They're kicking goals. They've just they had are, a, the leave approved. Um, yeah, the leave for loss. So that's incredible. Amazing. Um, so that's in that will be in legislation, I think, in August um, that, that people are entitled to miscarriage leave as part of um, bereavement leave, which is incredible. But, yeah, they're, they're just changing the way that miscarriage is handled in society and that's so important um do you know that i when i miscarried was when i found out that one of my dear friends had had a miscarriage um many years before um and that happened over and over again when i was open about my experience and my kind of journey um other people then started to talk about what had happened to them and many of them hadn't told anybody um yeah. It's just, yeah, it's such a a part of life that just do, doesn't get talked about or didn't get talked about. Oh, it's so shitty and you feel so alone in going through it and yet so many people experience the same thing. I could name 10 on my hand just mm. after me telling them about mine and, you know, it's it's crazy, absolutely crazy to think mm. that, People are going through this. I know. I know. I went through it a bit ashamed. Why? Like, why did my body? Why I couldn't mm. I do it? Was it something I did? You know, and you 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 beat yourself up. And I think you know, it's it's no one's fault. There's no reason mm. as to why. And you know, it's so important. I think that these conversations that we're having right now are had, mm. so that people do know that what they're feeling is so valid and. Mm you're not on your own ever, even if you feel it in that very moment. There's someone probably going through it right this very second. So it's just... It's so true. I mean, it's everybody has a different um, a different experience of losing a baby and miscarriage, um, but it is really that point about their feelings being validated, what they're mm -hmm. feeling is normal and, and absolutely allowed. Oh, um, so even and, from one miscarriage to another, I feel yeah. like, you know, subsequent miscarriage is different feelings and that's okay, you know. Yeah. It's the same with even, you know, the, the pregnancies and birth that I did have, the live birth, you feel different every time. Just because you might have postpartum with one, depression, yeah. that doesn't mean you love that baby any less than you love the other ones, you know. And yeah. I just think it's so important that everyone is just kind and everyone's feelings are their feelings in that moment and that doesn't mean it's going to be the same two minutes later mm. and that's okay 
Absolutely. It's so true. And and what you're saying about um, the way that it changes you and every experience after that is so true as well. Um, yeah. It's just been proven over and over again. And and the whole concept as well as of um, pregnancy after loss, um, you just, you're a different person. You go into those situations in a different way. I mean, even from one fertility treatment cycle to another, um, the first one you go in just so naive I think really um yeah. and then yeah and then each one after that you have a different kind of um expectation really um so then for me after I lost that bub um then I had another IVF cycle and I think this was actually again like you, your feelings are different at different points and but this I really this knocked me for six so I had an IVF cycle um, because I'd had the two losses. Um, we decided to test the embryos or to screen the embryos genetically. Mm -hmm. um, so egg collection, create the embryos with the donor sperm. Um, and then when you get to day five or six of embryo development, the incredibly clever scientists take a tiny little biopsy um, from the embryo. Um, and then they test the chromosomes, they screen the chromosomes in that little piece of the embryo, in that biopsy piece, to check um, to check the numbers and the order um, to see if that embryo is likely to implant and then go on to form a healthy pregnancy. Um, and I had, I want to say, three embryos go in for that process and none of them were chromosomally healthy. Jesus. All three of them were um, wouldn't have formed, wouldn't have sort of um, implanted or gone on to form a baby. So that was really difficult. Um, oh God! To get that far into a cycle and just and nothing. Um, it's just it's it's really it was really for me such an education in just the levels of kind of setback and disappointment you can have, but then still. Um, give yourself time to recover, but then just know that you're still going. Yeah. Um, well, you did that make like when they gave you that news. Mm. But I, I can't imagine like going forward. Were you worried to do it again? Were you like where were you there's at a, mentally? Yeah. Look, there's a couple of things that I think are really important to say about that. One of which feeds into a bigger conversation, um, which we're all having with regards to um, fertility in the workplace, and this is something that we talk about with Pink Elephants as well. I received that news in a phone call um, whilst standing in a corridor at work. Now, that's not Janaya's fault at all. I mean, they're in my employee, employer as well. Um, that's just the nature of when you're likely to get those phone calls, you're going to be at work. Um, but you, you routinely receive important information um, while you're at work, lots of people do for all sorts of things. But when you're having fertility treatment, it happens on the daily. Um, so that I think is such an important conversation, just an awareness within workplaces that people are having lives um, and that those two things intersect and that there needs to be space, spaces in these wonderful open plan offices that we all work in, safe spaces. Um, where you can get those calls. So that was really hard um, because, you know, it was one of those phone calls where your knees go out from underneath you and you start crying straight away. 
Um, so that was really tough. But again, I think sort of in answer to the other bit of your question, it comes back to that point about knowing when you're done and knowing when you're not done. And I, I, I knew that I needed to recover from it, but I knew that I was going to go again the next cycle mm-hmm. um, without any doubt. You um, wanted that baby. Yeah. I knew you what wanted the, your Nicholas. Yep. I knew what the end goal was. And for me, actually, something that we hadn't talked about was um, the moment when I knew that this is what I needed to do. Um, yes. So it was... As I said to you, like I'd, I'd moved myself back from Perth and I'd been saving money and bought a house and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I had still did have some doubts, um, not necessarily about my ability to be a mother, but just some other questions that I had about the idea of bringing a child into the world by myself. Um, and I was really spending a lot of time fighting with myself, basically. Um, until one morning in the shower, because we all do our best thinking in the shower, don't we? Um, (laughs) I agree, I agree. (laughs) um, One morning in the shower, I thought to myself, how are you going to feel if you get to 45 and you never tried? And that still actually gives me goosebumps, um, just thinking about the impact that question had on me. Um, I couldn't couldn't possibly envisage being able to live with that level of regret. Um, I thought, I mean, I knew that not having a child would be incredibly hurtful for me because it was something that I really wanted to do. Um, But the idea of not having a child but not even having, had given it, giving it a go, um, yeah, yeah, that would have just been a step too far. Something I really would have struggled to deal with, I think, as I got older. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think that's what kind of guided me the whole way along was that I was giving this my very best, um, everything that I had. And um, setbacks like those that I had, um, they weren't something that I perceived as being enough to knock me off course. Yeah. and. You're committed. You're committed. Uh, yeah, really committed. And it is something that we see in Janae patients all the time. Um, quite often they are successful, driven, intelligent women um, who are used to working hard to achieve what they've achieved. But that's kind of they've gotten there. Um, yeah. And I think that's what's especially difficult to deal with, with when it comes to infertility, um, that you can, you can work so hard you can do all of the right things um and it's still an element that's so far out of your control um so yeah but look it was um yeah there wasn't a doubt that I was going to keep going um so you got the news about none of them being viable genetically yeah so what where did you head what what was the next step um back for another round I mean I spoke with my doctor um and obviously um we knew why my age by that point um, was was a huge factor, um, and that's just sort of part of the course, really. Um, but he felt, um, and look, and the numbers do prove it that um, at least three cycles of IVF um, can be what is needed to get you there, mm-hmm. um, to get that baby. 
Um, so he said that he felt comfortable recommending that I had another cycle. Um, he didn't think that that was pushing on for too long. Um, and I had one vial of sperm left. Okay. Oh, yeah, the sperm. The you sperm, gotta... yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I didn't even think about that. Yep. Right. So, so yeah, so off we went for, the, for another cycle. Um, and you know, we haven't really talked about it, but and mostly because I didn't, it didn't really worry me, you know, all of the injections and the monitoring and all of that sort of thing. Um, went through all of that again um, and egg collection um, and I got a good number of eggs again um, and um, four embryos. Okay. And um, so they went off to be biopsied um, and then that weight, because there is a weight um, to find out, it's not just a day sort of turnaround, um, wait to find out what the go is um, and they call that would have been excruciating for you yeah <laughs> it's all excruciating so I just it's just so there's so much waiting oh. um and I'm not a particularly patient person no <laughs> no especially when you know you know this is what you want and yeah. you want it now so well oh. and I did I definitely was doing what um what a lot of women who've had losses do by that point um you know when you would have been having that baby and you know um yeah where were, where you would have been in the last pregnancy that you that you that you lost um and i think there's a sense of frustration of it's like a really bad game of monopoly you kept on having to go back to go yeah um, it's not, it's not fair it's not <laughs> no, it's not fair <laughs> it's frustrating it's kind of like oh but i'd gotten you know i got to 12 weeks that was you know, I was 12 weeks into this thing. Um, I was 12 weeks closer to the bub. Um, anyway, back to the beginning, waiting to hear about these these beautiful embryos and hoping that they were going to be um, going to be good to be transferred. Um, and one of our lovely, lovely, lovely embryologists called me um, and said, "I've got some good news," which is always a lovely way to start a conversation um, on the phone when you get, when you know that the number that's calling is your fertility clinic. Yeah. Um, and he went on to tell me that two of the embryos um, were genetically healthy. Um, I'm crying. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like I'm in that moment. Like, I can't even imagine. Uh, holding my breath. And, yeah, absolutely. Relief, you know? And it is, it's this sort of huge high, but then by the same token, straight away you, reality crashes in and you're like, okay, but I still need to have that embryo transferred. It has to defrost well. It has to be transferred. Um, it has to implant. It has to get through, you know, all of the normal hurdles that, um, that we face in pregnancy. So, yeah, it was a massive high to have that good news. Um, but then, yeah, kind of pragmatic me kicked in and was like, okay, right, well, right, so the next step is... <laughs> And was it like was this? This was, was Nicholas. Nicholas. This was, it was Nicholas. Nicholas. Oh Yay. my gosh! That's so exciting. And was it the was it one got implanted? Obviously. Yep. Yep. So Nicholas was the first um, first of those two embryos um, was transferred, and I was pregnant. Um, and it was really trouble free. Thank goodness from that point. You deserved um, that. <laughs> you needed yeah. that. I loved being pregnant. Really loved being pregnant. Um, 
really I really enjoyed it it was a beautiful time what about Um, your birth how was the birth oh birth was interesting so by that point I was um I was whatever was I up to 41 you know my 42nd birthday um and it was an IVF pregnancy so I'll remember my um obviously I had um good monitoring by my obstetrician um and I remember him we're getting closer and I was sort of talking about this that and the other and um and he said to me very clearly one day um you will not be going past 40 weeks and I was like oh yes okay so anyway blah 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 he's like no 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 (laughs) I will be inducing you um at 40 weeks on the day um if you hadn't gone into labor naturally so then um and at that point, the baby was breech as well, just okay. to add another layer of joy in there. So I was doing lots of things, which I know lots of women will have, who are listening will have done. Um, Spinning babies? Not yet. We're oh, well, yeah. flying upside down and, uh, yep, all of that. Um, and then at the same time... Oh, yeah. I was so, off the couch. Yes, the exactly. Lying with your feet up the wall, legs up the wall. Um, and then also because I so really wanted to try to go into labour naturally, um, doing everything I could to make that happen, um, and even to the point of having a stretch and sweep, which wow. um, I don't know. I don't know. That was really quite unpleasant, which is a really funny thing to say after you've had all of that other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've never had one, which is really strange, but a lot of people I know that have are like terrified to have it again because it's quite unpleasant and you know I don't know if this is the same but Mm. my sister um sorry for sharing my sisters I'm sure they don't mind but having an IUD put in as well like where they stretch your cervix is apparently so painful so painful well it's probably much the same I guess isn't it I think maybe because I went in quite blase I hadn't done much kind of reading about what it would be like. So I think I was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, like how yeah, bad like could it be? <laughs> <laughs> I, was was lying, I was like, oh, wow, okay, yep, that hurts. So um, you must have been dilated. Were you not no, dilated at no, all? No, no, yeah. no, no, not at all. Um, so, um, yeah, no, nothing was happening. Headed in to be induced. Now, in my family, um, June is a lovely month to have a baby because my mum's birthday is on the 13th of June and my dad's is on the 15th of June. Um, and Nicholas's due date was the 14th of June. Wow. So, um, which we thought was perfect. We thought that was nice, split the difference. Um, so I went into hospital on the night of the 13th of June. Um, was he still breached at this point? <laughs> he wasn't. As per the last ultrasound, he did actually move. Um, but then, as we later found out, he moved, he turned back around again. Um, so they induced me on the morning of the 14th. Um, and I immediately, like anybody who's had um, an induction like that knows, went into um, contractions very sort of close together. Um, and that went on for the whole day and into the night um, and I wasn't really dilating um, but I had a really amazing obstetrician um, and he let me keep going. Nicholas's with a baby's heartbeat was fine um, and I was doing well. Um, I had my mum with me and my sister-in-law, my beautiful sister-in-law with me. 
um, as my support through that. Yeah, it was really special, Zoe. It was really lovely. Um, I owe them a huge gratitude of debt. Um, they were amazing. And then my dad came in um, in the evening as well, which was really beautiful. Um, but, yeah, I was doing deals the whole time with the obstetrician, trying to, <laughs> trying to stave off the inevitable. Um, and I remember him, I don't know what prompted the conversation, but... I remember at one point him sort of saying, look, you're, you're heading towards a caesarean um, and talking about us talking about sort of what that would look like. And it some for some reason he mentioned that um, I'd probably have an epidural as part of that. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't had the epidural up to that point. I hadn't wanted to really have one. And um, so you I was warrior. like... How old were you in labour for? Oh, uh, so that was... I don't think I think I had the epidural about eight or nine o'clock that night. So I've been in labor for twelve hours. You are um, a superstar. That's amazing. So I was like, oh, you know, when you grasp at anything, I'm like, okay. So if I have the epidural now, because um, he was worried that I was getting tired. Um, so if I had the epidural, then that would give me a bit of a rest, um, and then um, and then hopefully I can kind of you know bring on magically bring on labor. Um, <laughs> and I like. And dilate <laughs> 10 centimetres and, you know, get this happening. <laughs> you know, miracles happen. Miracles happen. I'm, you know, just dealing the whole time doing deals. Um, <laughs> and I, he was so lovely. He just, I mean, not humoured me, but, yeah, he was like, okay, yes, fine. Because I'm like, because you're going to have to give me the epidural anyway for this for this caesarean that you think we're heading for. So, um, and mum said to me later, she's like, you're so, you were so lucky in him because, um a lot of doctors would have had you in for the caesarean at seven o'clock that night so that everybody could go home. Um, so we did that, got the epidural, um, rested for a little while, um, did actually start to dilate a bit more, felt the urge to push, pushed for about an hour and a half, um, but Nicholas had turned back around and he was just slamming into my pelvis. He wasn't going anywhere. Um, and wasn't coming down, I couldn't push him down far enough even for the, my obstetrician to get a grab on him. Yeah. Um, so we went off for a caesarean um, and in the very early hours of the morning, um, the very early hours of my dad's birthday. Oh, my um, gosh. Wow. Which is really beautiful. Um, so, yeah, Nicholas was born... Um, about quarter to five on the 15th of June on my dad's birthday. Wow. Mm. Your boys, they're born on the same day. That's so cool. Yeah. So, and it was really lovely actually because, um, so mum came in to the operating theatre for the caesarean with me, which was really nice. Um, but she'd had a, she'd fallen over um, about four weeks before Nicholas was due um, and broken her shoulder. Oh, gosh. Um, her right shoulder um not ideal to hold the baby <laughs> not ideal to hold the baby which i'm sure crushed her um so dad held nicholas for the first couple of hours of his life while i was in recovery um so they've got a really beautiful connection oh um, my gosh i'm crying again oh my <laughs> gosh that is so special that is yeah so that is special what so how yeah. amazing for your parents like you've given yeah, them a really gift yeah, it, yeah, it's really been um, 
been a family effort. It does take a village. <laughs> and what a village you have, you know. They're so lucky that you have been so welcoming, you know, into the birth suite and being able to hold them and, you know, what a gift you've given them and in turn the gift they've given you of being your, you know, if, if, I know they're your family, but they're your family, yeah. you know. They're there um, part, yeah. part raising, you know. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really special to have my sister-in-law in the birth suite and I think really important for dad as well because, you know, my brother and I were born in the 70s and he didn't like he didn't have that access back then. Um, or I think probably that quiet time with either of us immediately after we were born. So, yeah. And how cool as well, where you're recovering knowing like the people you trust most in life. Yeah. You have a beautiful baby. Yeah, because that's a huge thing that weighs on you. You kind of, that was one of the big reasons I didn't want, like I didn't, my birth plan was that both of us came out of it healthy. I have, that was it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, the reasons I wanted to give birth naturally as my preference was exactly that. I, <laughs> I was like, but if I'm recovering from this cesarean, what's going to happen? I want to be with my child. So, yeah, that was for them to be able to pick up um, pick that, pick up Nicholas and care for him at that point was fabulous. Amazing. And how is life as a solo parent? I mean, I'm sure it's got its highs and its lows, like anything, but you know. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it is, um, in that way, quite a lot like just being a parent. Um, I don't really obviously know any different. Um, so I guess, I don't, um, it's not a big element of my day-to-day -day life what we don't have in our family. Um, I don't look at it that way. I think lockdown has probably exacerbated things a little bit in terms of um, just how much you are everything um, yeah. as a solo mum, a solo mum by choice. Um, I think the main thing for me and look we were talking before we started recording about yeah. different seasons with your children and and yeah what you think of as difficult and hard and then they're a little bit older and what you think of as difficult and hard and um i think the main thing really for me has been um and continues to be the decision making by yourself um and no one really to bounce it off or even just to make a decision instead of you making the decision mm -hmm. um and that is going to be an element for his whole life I have to make lots of decisions for him and about him and about us and about what we do um and I need to like I mean he does talk to me about things he likes to think that he runs the show but <laughs> <laughs> don't all kids of his age I swear oh seriously he is honestly of the impression that he's the boss of this household probably <laughs> because mostly he is but yeah <laughs> Blake was the boss today. He ran yeah, really? oh, yeah. rings. He ran rings around me. Oh gosh! And I um, some I kind of let him because I'm just over it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. You do You've got to pick your battles hugely. Yeah. But yeah, look, it, it has its absolute highs. It's he remains the best thing that I've ever done. Um, he is just. Um, you know, it's it's all of those cliches piled upon one upon the other. When I do get a little break, I miss him. Yeah. Um, I don't sleep very well when he's not under the same roof, which is crazy um, because when he's under the same roof and mostly in my bed, 
because he likes to co-sleep still, um, I would give anything to, to have my bed back by myself. Um, but then the instant that I do, I don't sleep well and I toss and turn. So, yeah, look, he is my everything. Um, and, yeah, as I said, definitely remains the best thing that I've ever done. So, so cool. And can I just ask, you obviously have another embryo or had another <laughs> embryo. Yeah. Did you know it was always just Nicholas or, mm. you know, what, what what was your plan with that or is your plan with that? Yeah, look, no, I very de there are um, there are people who know very firmly that they are one and done, and no, that's not me. Um, uh, yes, the other embryo is still there; it's still in the freezer at Jenea, um, yeah. and it's really tough. I it's the pragma pragmatist me has to come to the fore. Um, if I were to go and have that embryo transferred and try to have another child, we would have a really different life, um, both from my time point of view and from money point of view. Yeah. Um, it would be I would need to, yeah, I would need to try and earn more money, which would mean more time away from these children. Um, Nicholas would get less of me. The new baby would get less of me than Nicholas got. Um, you know, all these things um, and, and how on earth I'd keep the house um, yeah. standing around our ears, um, not falling down around our ears rather. Um, so, yeah, it has had to be um, a decision for me about what's best for the child that I have here. Um, and I question it constantly. Yeah. Um, I can see it I... on your face right now. <laughs> Looking at yeah. you on camera, I can see... The it's a pained look almost. Yeah, I think the answer to your question is if I won the lotto, um, don't stand between me and the clinic. <laughs> so cool, you know. And, but I guess the beautiful thing is that embryo can be frozen for mm. however oh, yeah. long, right? And I know, yeah. I know age can be a factor of you carrying it. But, yeah. you know, the beautiful Sally Obermeider, who I spoke to mm. last time, I know her circumstance is very different, but it opened my eyes up to a whole new world of surrogacy and yeah. how that, you know, works. So Absolutely, because that embryo is a full sibling to Nicholas. So um, cool. So, yeah, look, never say never and you just don't know where life's going to take you. If you had have asked the 30-something me who moved to Perth um, about any of this, um, yeah, there's wow. no way I could have seen this would be, was where I would be. Um, so who knows what the future holds. Um, but, yeah, at the moment it's, it has had to be a um, very pragmatic decision. Um, yeah. Well, it comes back to the difficult thing about decisions, right? It's huge, yeah, exactly. And the decisions that you make are impacting all the time. Um, but, look, I before lockdown, before COVID, I had a really clear vision of what um, mine and Nicholas's life would be like. Um, and that involved lots of travel and lots of exploring the world. Um, so, again, that was a factor in sort of in me deciding at that point that um, that would be easier for the two of us, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. It's funny how the way the world works, right? You put plans in place and sometimes they and just the <laughs> don't happen. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. That's crazy. But I like to end or try to end the episodes on a share. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to ask you what's 
lighting you up? What has you, what's filling your cup at the moment? Zoe, I think I spent more time thinking about this question than I did any of your other questions. <laughs> you know, and so many people say that. They're like, it's such a hard one. I was like, oh. <laughs> and I have gone backwards and forwards on what to say to you. And I have sort of dredged my memory for, um, you know, pre-Nicholas me and all of the things that I love to read and listen to and watch and and all of those passions. What I've come back to is that I think it's so important that we are um, real about where our life is at this point. Um, and so what I'm going to say to you is that um, I don't get much downtime, um, which I know a lot of mums don't. Um, so what I've done uh, this week in my downtime is um, fix the toilet and build an Ikea storage flat pack cabinet thingy. That <laughs> and, takes all your time. <laughs> and so, yeah, there hasn't been a lot of reading. Um, I used to be a passionate, voracious reader. Um, there hasn't been a lot of listening to podcasts, although I have listened to all of yours. Oh, um, you. <laughs> so, yeah, look, in, 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 um, in the need for there to be some reality in, um, in what we hear from other women about what life's really like, um, that's the answer to what lights me up is the fact that whilst I was building that flat pack last night, I had a really nice gin and tonic. Yeah, love that. I love that. And you know what? That makes me love you even more because this whole podcast is based on telling your story to make others realise you're not alone. And mm. Where you're at in your journey is there is minimal time. Yeah. So the time you do have, like you said, is getting shit done. Like it's yeah. getting shit done so you can keep moving forward. Keep and moving. Yep. Yeah, and so that's a really, really cool answer. I actually really like that. <laughs> well, I hope that it um, leads a whole lot of people out there to, um, yeah, not to feel that, um, that everybody else has a perfect life and they don't because sometimes you can feel that way on social. So, oh, massively. Um, it's yeah. a highlight reel, you know. And exactly. I, I posted something the other day um, about the creator creates whatever they want. You could be yeah. whoever you want on social media and, you know, I'm sure it's a version of them. Um, mm. I'm not saying it's not, but there are plenty of people that I've met in real life that have big profiles that seem, you know, whatever they may be online and they're not. So, yeah, you know, I think it's just important to remember that what you see online on po here on podcasts, you know, it's only a tiny bit of who they are and, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's so much other things that go on that make someone who they are. So that was a really cool answer. I love that. <laughs> thank you. But thank <laughs> you so, so much for being on the podcast and, I was going to ask you as well, do you want me to share your page? Are you happy? Yeah, I will get you to. Um, I will okay. send you the details. I will add to it um, a couple of things. What are you thinking with regards to timing? Well, it's up to you. You run that race. You tell me when you want. So can you, so if you do, if you interview Shelley tomorrow though, is that going to be something that you can put out for Thursday or? Oh, I literally have about 15 episodes. Oh, you've got stuff. Okay. Yeah, I've got so much content, which is so cool. Um, oh, it's literally good. coming out my ears. So that's what I mean with the Janae stuff. I know it's quite sensitive on what we talk about and approvals yeah. and whatnot. Um, yeah. So we can sort of like 
you know, this episode I'd love to do maybe even in two parts because it is educational yep. and, and it's an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't know if I'd do two parts, actually. I'll just see how it flows. So, yeah. yeah, once I put it all together. But, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. And even just chatting with you now, it made me realise it would be really cool one day maybe to sit down with one of your specialists and get people to ask questions or I don't know, fertility stuff after Maha's episode. Yeah. The questions I have no idea the answers to. Like and they think they I think they think I know more than I do. And I'm like, oh just head to Jenea, go to the page, whatever it may be. Um, especially around egg freezing. Even my sister um yeah. she, the episode she came to me she um got a whole history of mental health and whatnot she's been on this medication which essentially sends you into the menopause um oh because of all her fertility issues endometrium everything everything under the sun Jess anyway mm-hmm. her eggs um she has actually never frozen um mm-hmm. and I remember when she went on this medication I said she's off it now but um, I said, oh, you should maybe think about, like, freezing your eggs because will it, could it do anything to them? And she's like, oh, no, they said it won't, blah, 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 whatever. I was like, oh, okay, because she wasn't in the mind frame of thinking about yeah, babies. Thinking about now, babies. yeah, now she's getting married in November oh, and they, they want to start to try. And anyway, she listened yeah. to the episode. She said, I think I want to freeze my eggs. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And she said, well, I'm 20, nearly 28. She yeah. said, and... I heard, you know, on the podcast, I started researching, it's like the perfect age. And she said, because of everything I've been through, if there's something wrong with them, then I have time to sort of, you know, do stuff to make it better. Anyway, I was like, we'll get in touch. She's like, I'm going to. I was like, well, there you go. you got nothing to lose. And I've already told her if you have problems, because she is on a lot of medication to manage her mental health, she also worries about will she be able to, deal with a pregnancy she has to come yeah. off medication you know for years there's just hot, so many things that go into it and i said i would happily happily carry your baby oh if, you're beautiful if you want me to because being yeah. able to carry your own baby is so special to no so many point. yeah but she doesn't have that in her yet but i yeah. know myself yeah. i selfishly would love her to experience that yeah but but, but you but the fact that you can make that offer is really beautiful oh. as well zoe yeah. I would love that. I know that. what you mean. You would want as her first choice that she could have that experience. Yeah. And, and it also puts her, yeah, it's funny, like when I, I know me saying that I would take a weight off her because she, mm. her partner really wants children. Like yeah. he, they've been together for so long. He's very aware of everything that, you know, her, she's okay. always said she didn't know she wanted kids and now she's saying mm. she does. And, you know, he says, I want four. She says, I want one. So, <laughs> They're very, very different. Um, but yeah. I said, just so you know, if you are, yeah. you know, because I don't know, like we're very close, but again, I don't know if she'd tell me if they were seeking, you know, advice or speaking to a psychologist or whoever about it. I said, yeah. to take the weight off you, just know if you ever had trouble or whatever, I would so happily carry your baby. And she's like, oh my God, that's so cool, would you? I was like, of course. But um, if you wanted. Yeah. You know, there's so many resources to help you. But it's cool that that episode, someone who's literally my best friend. Yeah. And even was a catalyst for that. Yeah. And even my mum, who's so involved in her whole medical stuff with my sister, um, was like, yeah, I listened to that and I immediately thought of Jess. I was like, well, there you go. Brilliant. Hey, listen, if she has any hurdles or hiccups with regards to 